All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Because Football podcast. Today we have Lepe Setane. Lepe is originally from Lesotho in Southern Africa and is calling to us today from Louisville, Kentucky. Lepe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So now you're currently a graduate assistant coach at Spalding University. It's a Division three school in, in Louisville. You yourself have experience playing at the Division One level for Northwestern University, and you are also the director of football and head of academy for Kick for Life, an organization in Lesotho. So I know our conversation is going to go a lot of different places today. I'm very excited for that and, and learning from your experiences and your well-rounded travels. But first thing, I guess, is, is what are some of your earliest memories of playing this game? Oh man, that's uh, it's gonna take me far, really far back. Um, I just I just remember like you know, in the while I was in Lesotho, um, just playing a lot of soccer. We would create our own with like some plastic bags, um, and just kind of you know dabble with that with um, with neighbors, friends, and 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 you know, and what would later be teammates. Uh, in an unstructured way. So the, a lot of it was just a few kids just, you know, wanting to create that experience and actually play, um, which was which was beneficial later in life, really. Absolutely. And and do you remember, like, trying to, to model yourself after some, some professionals or superstars? I don't know personally of any uh, players from Lesotho, to be honest, I don't think. Uh, but But who were some of your, like, heroes and people you were you were modeling yourself after as a kid um the the one the one person that i think played a critical role in 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 trying to figure that out um is a gentleman that just actually passed away who was my neighbor he's a military mm -hmm. guy um uh, his name is lulu siema he's uh he became my coach but during his playing days, used to go watch his games, used to walk miles and miles to go watch his games, uh, watch him play. Um, he later, you know, became my coach. Um, and, you know, while he was coaching me, I was also watching his son, um, who's a prominent coach in the South African um, Premier League right now. Um, okay. who's he's, he was an internet, he was a national team uh, captain, um, a guy from my back my backyard, um, just kind of fought, trying to follow those footsteps. There's a lot of guys in, in Lesotho. I mean, um, the list is long. Um, there's Tabane Sutu, who's currently actually here in Louisville, uh, coaching in Louisville uh, City. Um, he was he went to coach at the MLS. It was at Orlando. Um, okay. There's been a goalkeeper coach there. Um, those are the guys that you know I looked I looked up to and just kind of wanted to follow um, that 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 route. Excellent. Well, first, I'm sorry very much for your loss of, of your mentor, Mr. Siema. I want to remember him and the impact that that he uh, had on you, and I'm sure so many kids in your area. Um, so it sounds like you kind of came from a bit of a, a of like a football hotbed in Lesotho. Was there something you think about your your town, your area that like gave you guys some kind of edge? I Fortunately, we were around the military. Um, so the military base is, you know, not far from, from my neighborhood. Um, so fortunately, we had those military personnel being involved in soccer a lot. Hmm. Um, you know, I remember the gentleman by Ladenosi uh, Kosi. Um, he's also one of those guys that has, you know, impacted the way I see the game just because of their, you know, involvement in, in that. Um, and yeah, you know, I would say there's there's a lot of, I'll say there's a lot of talent in Lesotho um, mm -hmm. and a lot of untapped talent um, that, you know, should we, should, should, should some of these guys be exposed to a bigger stage? I think they'll be able to represent um, the Soto and, and represent themselves well, um, just because of, again, some of those upbringings that that we've experienced in, in playing those unstructured small-sided games. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it really helps you with your creativity and, and, and you know, thinking, think, you know, reading the game well. Um, it, it helps with that, uh, just because there's no, like, formal, hey, do this instead of that. 
um, you get to experience those moments uh, by yourself. You get to make those uh, quick seconds uh, decisions mm -hmm. uh, by yourself, which, uh, you know, it does help uh, in the long run. So you spend your time really forming as a player and a person in Lesotho and then big change when you're about 13, 14 of, of moving to Louisville. So, so what was that like for you, I guess, first from a, a soccer point of view, like you go from, from playing like a little bit, sounds like some structure, you know, back at home in the town, but, but mostly just playing on your own with whatever you had with everybody in the neighborhood. And then all of a sudden big, big life change. So, so what are some of your first memories of playing like in the U S and, and maybe some of those differences? I can't, I can't get into that without, you know, actually telling the full story behind it. Um, Please. Yeah. So fortunately when I was, you know, around 13, 14, I was fortunate enough that one of the, the coaches, the local um, coaches, uh, you know, watched watched me at some tournament and decided they're gonna recruit me to come play for a the club there. The club is called Hunters FC, still exists. They have some right. academies, um and you know, they have a pretty good structure. They had a pretty good structure then uh for developing players. So they brought me in with a few guys and uh you know uh fortunate enough that within that structure I was um, recognized and I was also selected to <clears throat> to to experiment and come to the U.S. and and see, you know, you know what I got, what it takes. And fortunately, in two thousand two thousand five, I was able to come to Louisville, um, which was supposed to, you know, was meant to be for a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, that ended up in in, in a lifetime, really. Um, wow. You know, and you know, moving to Louisville. Uh, fortunately, like I said, Tabani was already here. Tabani and his family was already here, so the transition was a, a bit, a bit different. But um, you know, with a little structure, I thought you know um, this would be helpful for me. Um, and once we started playing, you know, that was the the stark difference was just the infrastructure and just the level of coaching. Um, not to say there aren't enough qualified coaches in Lesotho, it's just to say the structure is introduced a little earlier than 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 in Lesotho. Um, mm -hmm. This level, UA level, you know, we have coaches that have credentials that actually um, know and understand how to coach uh, versus, you know, us just dabbling around in the neighborhood and, you know, you know, experiencing and, and learning new tricks, but on our own versus like with somebody that can teach right. you how to, how to do certain things and how to read the game, how to, you know, even position yourself. So I think the stark difference was just the infrastructure and just the coaching structures and even just the equipment itself, you know, having, <laughs> having soccer balls, having cones, having all that equipment um, in practice makes it makes a huge difference. Yeah, some things we don't really uh, think about. If, like myself, growing up in the U.S. and just thinking, well, yeah, you're going to have soccer balls. Everybody's going to have their own ball of training or we, we know a certain level of, of quality of, of field and, and whatever it is. But I think the point you made about the coach is interesting because it's something I think about a lot. In the U.S., we have, yes, it is more structured. Now, a lot of times at your, your smaller clubs, grassroots, it is still sometimes just a dad who may or may not have played the game or know anything about it. Um, you know, starting at five years old, their structure in the U.S., right? Like, that's just how we, we do things. There's not much that kids do without structure yeah. uh, in the United States, you know? Um, and so I think, obviously, on the one hand, there's benefits to that. Hopefully, there's some, some more safety about things. There's a little more organization with things. Um, but I think when it comes to developing players as well, I always wonder, like, is it better to have more of what you had in Lesotho of kind of the unstructured, like that freedom to play, right? That that uh so so i guess what do you think are some of like the uh the benefits of of maybe that unstructure versus having the structure like what do you after experiencing both what are your thoughts i think the biggest the, big, the biggest piece honestly is there's you got to strike a good balance um there's a certain level where you need structure and 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 need direction um, but for creativity purposes, you, you the, the players need to be allowed to have um, to make those decisions on their own. Actually, you know, 
be involved in, in a way that um, won't impede their creativity, won't impede their independent thinking. Um, a lot of times, especially, you know, you know, talking about um, being coached by parents that haven't had experience playing, um, it does change that because one, they don't know how to structure that appropriately. Uh, whereas coaches with, you know, coaches, coaches will allow some creativity and allow some free play, some free expression. Mm-hmm. Um, that would, in a, in the long run, be helpful. But again, I, there's there's no wrong, there's no right or wrong answer. But I think the mix of both um, can be very helpful um, because again, with young kids, you need to work on those fundamentals and, and knowing how to appropriately trap the ball, knowing how to appropriately pass the ball. Um, but with a level of freedom that you know you can experience experience. Um, a back flick, you know, you're doing a, you know, a heel flick or whatever it may be, uh, without you know, being scrutinized or without being corrected too many times, um, just because at that level, that's what that's when we need kids that can think on their own, they can make the decisions yeah. on their own, mm-hmm. um, while they're implementing some of the structured um techniques that we may teach them in training. Um, but again, you, you can only do so much as a coach as well, and yeah, the game is dependent on players making decisions decisions on their own. Mm-hmm. If we try to joystick kids and yeah. use yeah. them as a as like a video game, it never works because there's yeah. so many decisions that have to be made in the game that, you know, yeah. the coach is trying to make 11 decisions for 11 players uh, every two seconds is yeah. going to be exhausting. Um, and kids are going to hate it too because you mm-hmm. get to every step of the way it can be very frustrating and that micromanagement just taking that piece out of it and actually teaching the kids to independently think and independently make decisions um you know it's very helpful you bring up creativity again that's something like through all the parents i talk to um you know when, when parents come to me with transform soccer and their kid wants private training or they want more of our group skills training whatever it is or doing our camps like Never, ever do I hear the word creativity from any of those parents, right? And and a lot of it, they don't know. Like, they don't get it. And I think that's a downfall of, like, American soccer. It's athletic. Mm-hmm. There's speed. There's power to it. But, like, we don't really have – I think it's almost like we don't – a lot of people don't know, but we also don't have the patience to be creative because, like you're saying, that creativity, that's risky, right? Yeah. Creativity involves risk, yeah. right? And – and uh, it's something that, especially as a coach, if you're fearing, uh, even in a, in a top club, I see it, like if you're fearing your team not succeeding because then you're going to get backlash from parents or from your club administration, like it, you might say you see the heel flick once or twice from Johnny and it doesn't work and you're going to bench him, right? You're going to pull him out. Yeah. So then what does Johnny think? I can't be doing the heel flick, even though like it could have been the solution to a problem to unlock yeah. things. Um, and I think we see that in the American game, especially in the final third, the lack of creativity, um, and both on the men's and the women's side. Uh, and I think it kind of, kind of feels to that, but, but it sounds like then you were kind of obviously through, through growing up playing unstructured, you had the opportunity to do that. But would you say that that creativity piece is like a, an important ingredient in, in like Lesotho football, like in the way that you guys just see the game? I know it is certainly for, South African football and like the the the, the Kasi flavor, I believe, right of, of the, the the skills and the technique, and obviously that's one extreme. Um, yeah. But what would you say is kind of like uh, the 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 way that that you see the game in Lesotho and kind of how you were raised to to interpret it? I'll tell you what, like the 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 huge difference again, um, and what what and the reason behind me saying there's a lot of untapped talent in Lesotho is exactly because of that. There's that that creativity, that flavor, that something very, very different um, that you see from Southern Americans, that you see from Southern Africans, that you don't see, you don't necessarily see in, in other continents um, where the kid is not, you know, is not scared to, to try something, uh, something new. Obviously, you hope that at the young at the younger age, you hope that that's a controlled environment with the coach present, with the coach learning, <clears throat> teaching kids how to be creative. Um, but 
there's like I said, there's a there's a level where you need to figure out is there a, a healthy medium, is there a, a, a position where the kid can still experience can can still experiment and can still do those things that he wants he thinks they're cool, or, or even his teammates think they're cool, uh, without getting that backlash from from the coaching staff from fans. Um, again, I always refer to the Brazilian game because again. Uh, a lot of not a lot of people know about the Cassie flavor uh, mm-hmm. with all the tricks and, and and whatnot. The Brazilian game. Why has <clears throat> Brazil been so good? Because again, they play independent, unstructured soccer for so long until they start moving up the ranks. Um, and there's that freedom. There's that. There's that. Um, I think they call the Samba boys. They they are able mm-hmm. to do yeah. what they want, they actually express themselves through soccer. And that I think that that piece of it um has has is really been influential for me in terms of like how you don't you can't teach creativity. You just mm-hmm. can't you can provide environment for creativity, but you can't facilitate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you can't yeah. necessarily teach it. So I think again the way I see the game is based on having that having that type of freedom. Um, to make decisions on my own, like you said, you know, the American game again. You watch every American sport; everything is controlled by the coach. Hundred mm-hmm, mm-hmm, percent. <laughs> From a point guard running a play to um, to to a quarterback calling a play. Yeah, hundred percent. Offensive coordinator calling that play. <laughs> There's a head coach actually giving him thumbs up to that this play is okay. Let's let's run that. Yeah. Uh, and in soccer, there's not that. In soccer, there's there's eleven versus eleven. The coach is gonna teach you some movements or where to be, when to be, when to be there, and how to be in, and how to you know provide that support. Um, but they cannot call time out to to set a play. They can't. They, they. There's no mm-hmm. thirty second violation to <laughs> to run to be able to to be able to to get a shot off. So I think that those different structures, um, you know, when you have them in a healthy place, I think they can be very very important. But you can't have one without the other, or else you're gonna find a static game uh, where mm-hmm. kids are moving like like a robber you like you move one here you have to move the other one is move. so it's not necessarily exactly. you're not necessarily joysticking kids to be where they need to be when they need to be there versus allow them to make the decision and then try to correct it at half time and try to correct it in game um versus actually calling a timeout and bringing them in and actually showing mm-hmm. them where to be when to be there and how you know how to run you know a set play yeah yeah agreed and and uh yeah, I think it's a great insight you make about a lot of American sports and like the top down like mm-hmm. instruction and decision making. I, I think about that a lot and I try to tell parents that. And that's what people are used to here. So I think it's a challenge of being a soccer coach in the US too, of like one, you kind of are conditioned to be a little bit like that. Like as an American, our examples of great coaches are in football, are in basketball. Yeah. We don't have as many within soccer to like model ourselves after. So that's kind of what we're used to culturally. Um, yeah. I'm curious about that too. Like, so, so you're a baller, you're, you're seen in Lesotho playing that you have so much talent and ability, you get the opportunity to, you know, come across to the U S that a few weeks turns into a little bit longer than that, as we can see today, right. Where, where you're sitting now. Um, I imagine that, that just outside of soccer, that was a big social change for you. Um, and so, but I also imagine that the game must have, must have helped in some way kind of create these connections and things. You're coming to, to school, you're coming to a new group of kids of a different background from you. So, so how do you think the game helped you like adapt or cope with such a massive uh, life change? I honestly think the, the, the game itself um, became the way I coped with adjustment um and has had been very helpful and still is um you know moving moving you know you know a continent away um at that age it can be very difficult but 
the game itself has allowed for me to not feel as lost, not feel as um, as homesick, um, just because I'm, I was always able to express exactly how I feel through that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that it plays a huge, a huge part. And and you know we can see that um, with a lot of players. You watch, you watch the Premier League, for example. Majority of those guys aren't born in the UK. Um, right. Just moved there, and having that structure, having that soccer, like I have training this morning, I have training in the afternoon, on the weekend I have games. It keeps you sane. It keeps you a little grounded to to focus on exactly why you're there. Um, and I think that that's where I found refuge in. I found that be an escape from you know me missing home and escape from you know me you know missing some of the things uh, that you know that that I miss at home. And uh, it was like the one thing that was the same or almost the same, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that you had to, to cling to. Um, and, and so, so the, you're, you're in Louisville, you're playing, obviously that's how we had sort of met, you know, we, we were talking, uh, we encountered each other playing three V three soccer uh, down at, at Disney for the, the, I think it was the kick it national championships. And yeah, my team, we thought we were pretty good. Being from Philadelphia, we had won a different national championship, the 3v3, the year before. And then we come down to Disney and we're doing okay at the group stage. And we face you guys, I think, in the quarterfinals. And it was uh, a humbling experience for sure. Um, you guys uh, you guys smoked us. Um, but it was uh, a really cool way of, of us being able to connect. And now years later through through LinkedIn. Um, so just briefly want to touch on that, that 3v3 soccer side of the game. Like we talked about some creativity and things. Um, what are some of maybe the, the benefits of people who have never heard of it or, or have seen it, but, but thought, ah, that's not real soccer. Like what, what would you say to, to parents, to players, um, as, as a way for it to benefit their, their growth? You know, like, like I said, having, having a, an unstructured, uh, way to play soccer, uh, was, was beneficial. I will put 3v3 in that, in that category as well. Um, you know. Again, for our team, we didn't have a, we didn't have a coach per se, not a licensed coach. We had a parent that just step in and just say, "I'll coach three v three. But what what that allowed us is the parents were in those parents that are gonna be you know overbearing and try to teach actually teach. All they had to do was provide the structure and provide um, the space and environment to um, for us to to play and. And I'm sure I'm sure you guys experience the same thing, but the three v three game is very different. Um, very fast, you have to make quick decisions. Yeah, it is, in, yeah. in an eleven v eleven, you have to make quick decisions. But three v three, that decisions have to be even faster because the space is smaller. Um, the opponents are quality, um, and and especially that Disney level, I think that's where you start to say, okay, am I good enough to take my soccer to the next level? Am I good enough? Because for me, that was actually one of the bases. I'm like, you know, if I can play in this tight spaces for for 30 minutes straight, um, that creativity again comes out because you are forced to be creative. It's, you know, three with it, like I, like I tell people, it's a man marking you, you know, you have to stay, mm-hmm. stay with your man. You have to stick yeah. with your man. And by the time you, if, if you try to figure out a structure in terms of like, oh, let's let's defend zonally on a 3v3, that's not going to work. Because all, yeah. It takes a split second for me to get a, a shot off, right? Yeah. So that allowed for us as players to be creative again, um, to be to be able to learn how to separate ourselves from our men, like learn how to receive under pressure, learn how to control the ball under pressure, learn how to dribble, go 1v1, learn how to defend 1v1. So those things come out at a 3v3 level. Um, you don't have, unless you have coaches that drill that at practice to just just kind of put in, those, in, in that situation where you're defending 1v1 and, 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 and are doing it well, um, that 3v3 is grateful for that this is why I, again with my yeah. the teams that i'm coaching now i tell guys we need we need to be really good in transition moments in where you're three v two um 
you know, two v two, one v one. You need to be really good at those moments because if you can win your battle against the guy that you're going against, that means the team that the team is going to be successful. So I mm-hmm. do encourage if you can play three v three, if you can play indoor, if you can play football, if you can go play pickup with people that you don't know because you're gonna learn how you're gonna learn best how to how to be yourself, learn how to play within within yourself and you can you also learn how to be creative within those realms um so it is it's a great you know there's a lot of benefit for playing 3v3 there's a lot of benefit playing those side small sided games um you know especially you know talking about creativity 100% i think uh as you're saying that too you know one uh one thing that that i'm remembering comes to mind is um Two things, actually. One is like with 3v3, there's nowhere to hide, right? You're saying with 11v11, you can take a playoff where yeah. you're not involved, right? You're the right side of winger, the ball's on the left side. Like you're you're not really involved there, right? You might be in two pat, two movements of the ball. Maybe you're involved, but like you, you're, you're able to take 3v3, you can't do that. And I, I noticed that a lot. We've had some of our teams like play 3v3 and I've coached our teams. And a lot of kids, they'd struggle just having to be switched on the whole time they're on the field. Right. And cause like you said, there's so much transition um, and, and going forward and backward. And you made a great, great point too. Like it makes you a better defender as well. Cause I, I never liked to defend. I was a, a winger and attacking player. I never enjoyed it. Right. But, but I learned so much about how to defend from three V three, how to deny angles to the goal. Right. Cause if you're in the attacking half, it's a, a goal scoring opportunity. Oh, yeah. right? Like it, <laughs> there's, there's so many chances. So as a defender, You've got to be ready. You've got to understand, okay, I try to show them to the outside or I try to show them away from the inside. Uh, obviously, it didn't didn't work against you guys. Uh, you guys, whatever we did, you were definitely winning your one-on-one battles, uh, and then we were in trouble there. But but I agree. There's so many benefits to it, but it, it's something that's that, again, is like your unstructured play back home in Lesotho. Like you brought up some other great examples, futsal and just playing pickup. Like it's a different – type of soccer but it brings out its skills and characteristics that will make you so much better when you go to the the bigger game and i think sometimes in the u.s we just get stuck with like trying to so many coaches i see just are trying to play like all right well we're just going to scrimmage 11 v 11 the whole time or play within these bigger groups and you don't just get you don't get the involvement in the action that that you would if you you break it down small-sided so i think it's a lot of a lot of uh, good points you make there. Um, so, so you go from from playing in Louisville, and you get the opportunity then for for the next level, right? Uh, for, for Division One soccer at Northwestern. Could you tell us a little bit about your time there and and kind of what that meant to you, both on and off the field? Northwestern is a great institution. Um, again, and fortunately, I I fell right within, you know, the right environment. Uh, for me um, and for growth and for my development um, personally and, and, and professionally. I think on the on the soccer side specifically, you know, Coach Tim Lenahan, um, I feel right, right, you know, where I thought, you know, I could be, I could be a little influential. Um, you know, some say, you know, some of these big schools, when you go to them, you know, there are three, four, five guys uh, ahead of you in a picking order, and fortunately at Northwestern I came in. We came in with like six freshmen, and while we didn't get the you know to start um, our freshman year, um, you know we were able to learn around um, some of the some of the great guys that you know were ahead of us, and you know obviously that paid dividends in in the later stages where you know in 2011 um, we were able to win the regular season. Um, first ever in school school history, mm-hmm. uh, and won the, the Big Ten tournament as well in in the same year, which yeah. again first in, in 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 school history. So you know, and all of that was because you know I was in the right environment um, for development. Um, I was around the guys that you know enjoyed the um, each other's company because um, you don't get you don't get many teams with thirty. 30 something guys or 28 some 20 something guys that genuinely enjoy each other's company um and i thought that was one of the things that you know made us so successful there in my time was we genuinely 
you know, enjoyed each other's company. Um, we genuinely even still hang out to this day, you know. Um, and it's 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 funny sometimes people always talk about like, oh, this guy's always going to talk about soccer and whatnot. But yeah. <laughs> it's it's far beyond that, and and we're still involved with in 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 each other's lives at any given time. We felt. Um, and again, on on a, on a on a paper, it might have been, it might have looked different. Um, and mm-hmm. it, and forbidding people, it might look different. But you yeah. know, we held every game that we had a chance and we could win a game. And and that was true to all to the majority of the players. We felt that we had what it takes. Um, we had the athleticism. We had the you know the the game IQ. We had all the the intangibles that you know that I think. Without the coaches being meticulous, without the coaches being detail oriented, and and bringing the guys and the personalities and the characteristics, um, that that is positive for the team culture. Um, mm-hmm. that would been, you know, that wouldn't be, we wouldn't have the the success that we, we we've had. Um, and again, it's it's important that the culture is at the forefront of this, and 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 just focusing on. The right characteristics um, that are going to be, you know, long-lasting and impactful in the program. So from that answer, I'm hearing like obviously the coach is having a role in kind of trying to craft that that team and the personalities to the best of their ability. Although you never quite know how it's going to happen until everybody comes together. And I guess there's just some some very good vibes and, and good fortune within the program. But another another thing you said there is you guys believe you could really beat anybody. And uh, and especially with a the team like yours, who's a first time conference champion, right? In the school history, it's not like you're coming into like an Indiana, for example, who they're the ones who are looking to dominate the Big Ten every year, right? They're one of the most storied programs in men's NCAA soccer, and so there you kind of have like a, a built in expectation, a built in belief, like, hey, this is just what we do, right? But for you guys in Northwestern, you're kind of smaller you didn't really have a name for yourself so the idea that came from me or the concept that came from me from what you just said there is like self-belief right and so it seems like you obviously personally have going from Lesotho to the United States through the game you're having believing in yourself you're part of a team at Northwestern that believes in themselves what would you say you know to, to younger players who might be listening about the or just anyone honestly right it's important at all stages of life but what would you say about the importance of self-belief to to your journey to success you know the the question i always ask if if you don't believe in, your, in yourself who's going to believe in you um and for yeah. me that has been again this is why where the military the military um uh discipline has really helped me understand and and, and realize is that unless you personally believe in yourself then you're making it difficult for others to believe in you. Um, so if you believe in yourself, you're essentially, you know, that 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 is contagious on its own. If you believe in yourself, you're dragging the guys next to you and you're dragging whoever mm-hmm. you to believe in 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 the goal that you want to achieve. And I think with that, um, you have to have the confidence to actually go out there and do do what what you're set out to do. Um, and again, you know, the vision wasn't necessarily mine at Northwestern. Um, you know, I did believe in myself, but the vision was always Coach Linehan, who also believed in 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 wanting to accomplish a certain, mm. a certain milestone. And that's that's why he went out and recruited the guys that he thought had that self-determination, self-belief, sure. and the confidence to actually go out there. Um, so we just kind of fed into the overall mission that the coach already had. Um, in 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 having guys that are confident that that guys that can execute guys that are um, that have that that believe in themselves um, to to get out there and and actually be productive. So I, I allude a lot of that to again. I keep going back to Coach Lenahan for that vision because he had the vision. We just kind of fit into um, the vision that was already there. But again, confidence is 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 really 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 key. And then so you go from from playing at Northwestern, being success, and then, uh, you know, ultimately find yourself going back, crossing back over the Atlantic to uh, to Lesotho. So tell us about your work there with, with Kick for Life and, and 
maybe what led to that decision uh, and, and what you did there? Yeah, so I actually, I, when I was, um, uh, you know, in my last year of uh, graduate school at Bellarmine, um, a, a fellow Masuta reached out to me and just said, hey, there's this opportunity here at Kick for Life. Uh, we, I know your story, you know, after you know, the story came out and, and, and they wanted that experience, um, you know, having lived in Lesotho and having grown in that environment and having been having experienced the U.S. environment as well, they wanted that that background to kind of lead uh, or help lead um, the launch of a, a an academy there. Um, so after a few back and forth with the then country director uh, Hannah Taiji, um, I you know I thought this was a good opportunity for me to actually go back and give back to the same game, the same environment that, you know, developed me and and, and set me on my path. Um, so I went back um, and was leading the academy team there, Kid for Life Academy. Uh, okay. we, had a, we had a residential academy there, um, started with like six or seven kids and had, had grown to about 20-ish um, kids within the academy, um, specific ages where you've, you're 13, you're 14. Um, and, and now some of those kids, which uh, has been great to watch, some of those kids are playing in the, um, in the Premier League of uh, Lesotho. And some, of them, awesome. and some of them, some of them are involved in the, in the youth in national system as well, which has been, just has been a great, a great environment to, to actually watch and, and observe some of these kids grow um, and just watch their development as well. And, and you know, I still follow them till today, just kind of um, sure. check in and see how they're doing. Um, but that that really has helped in terms of seeing the game in a different light. Um, again, having moved from the Sudo at that age where there was no structure like Kick for Life Academy then, um, and going back and, and, and working with kids um, specifically. Um, and, and, and again, I, I talk about how Lesotho influenced me and pushed me into this mental health space. I think when we were, when I was in that space at Kick for Life, I had to deal with a lot of uh, behavioral issues with kids. Um, and it wasn't until you go back into the family history, you go back into mm -hmm. Um, their background, you realize that this kid, this is just the symptoms. The cause is way, 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 way gone. Um, some of these kids have experienced a lot of traumatic situation. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of anxiety, depression, um, and trauma in their, in their lives that, that forces them to react a certain way. Uh, that causes, that forces the same behaviors. Um, that's why I ended up saying, thinking to myself, man, this is, this, this would be a good way to, to, you know, be supportive of those individuals to go into actually learning the, um, the importance of, um, you know, dealing with some of the past traumas, some of the anxiety, some of the behavioral issues that mm -hmm. kids are dealing with in that environment. Um, and that has opened a lot of doors for me and, 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 you know, just, just growth and, and professional profile has, has grown because of that experience. Yeah. And, and I like how you said that it kind of put the game in a different light for you or you saw it differently because kick for life is obviously they're developed players, but really it's more of like a social development model, right? It's more of a way of like using the game to impact the players as people, um, you know, so a little bit different, different type of approach. Um, other than like the, the, the reg residential academy, what were some of the, the different programs or, or different goals of, of kick for life that you were a part of that you could share with our audience? So again, I, like I said, I walked, I, I got to Lesotho, I was working um, as an academy director there uh, for a couple of years. Um, and then, um, I started, you know, I transitioned into the director of football, which is overseeing all programs at, um, at Kick for Life. That included, you know, uh, 
um, the senior men's and, and, and women's teams, uh, which by the way, the women's team was the first to actually uh, implement equal pay. Um, mm, wow. And, and that was instrumental into creating that, that environment, changing the perception that, you know, again, in the, 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 I don't know if you know a lot about Southern Africa, uh, but Africa in general, um, women are not seen. I know there's like there's a there's an issue here in the U.S. of equal pay as well, but mm-hmm. in the Soto, even women playing sports or soccer specifically, um, there's a lot of stigma around that. Um, some parents assume that because their girl plays soccer, they're automatically, um, you know attracted to girls for uh, mm. to, to, to to say in, um and and it's been very difficult because we're trying to launch a girls academy as well just to make sure that we're doing um things uh, on both ends and and the difficult part became um actually addressing that stigma um mm. how do you address that stigma in an environment where it is not necessarily conducive to um, to creating those experiences, where girls can have similar experiences as boys, where uh, women should be paid enough as as the male counterparts. Um, but again, that 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 experience alone was also very influential in the way I view things. Um, but again, there were other programs, especially our teams were involved in a lot of programs as well. Uh, we had what we call Girls United. Which was basically teaching girls how to, um, you know, deal with certain things in their lives. Um, and we had what we call Champions United, which was another program that dealt with um, self-esteem, confidence, and 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 um, the self-belief issues that awesome. kids at that age are experiencing. Um, and you know. So many, so many other things that you know the, that organization was that was doing at the time. Um, that when you look back, you you feel the sense of pride, um, especially for me, especially for me, like with the young kids that I worked with for four, four or five years in the academy, seeing them uh, involved in the national team, seeing them actually excelling, and some of them mm-hmm. seen in the U.S. side because we have a few kids. Awesome. Some in Tennessee, some in Kansas, some in some in Missouri. So we have kids everywhere, and 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 the mission of you know of that program was to try to source those opportunities for for kids to you know take their their lives further in soccer and um and and, and educationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like um you know you, you definitely had your work cut out for you in terms of like culturally as well doing something new just in general right you said like when you were a kid you didn't have a structure like kick for life available uh and then and now especially doing it for for girls so and that's always the toughest thing right is dealing with the culture so so how did you try to to combat some of that stigma right of of you know and up here in other parts of africa too a lot of people don't see football as like a useful activity for their kids because it takes away from schooling or working and and so they don't see a lot of like the benefits involved so so how did you guys as an organization try to deal with that on a, you know, within your community? So so we we tried to use again the student athlete model. Um say, well, the kid, if kid X is not doing well in class, here's a tutoring for them, here's other resources that can help him and provide those resources. Uh we had tutors um on campus, we had uh professor we had qualified teachers. Um, on on our program that actually looked into those things and helped kids uh, where they needed um, and tutor kids where they needed. Um, so that approach itself uh, kind of alleviated that excuse that we would hear from parents. Because um, when parents would, would say, uh, oh, uh, so-and-so is not doing well in the classroom um, because of soccer, we would, would, would show them Here's why that's not true. We have tutoring on campus. We have um, teachers on campus that actually, instead of the kid going to practice today because they're not doing well in the classroom, there's a classroom and there's a teacher there to help them. So 
that has been very, very um, influential in the way we try to change that. So then your time with, with Kick for Life kind of showed you this different side of the player, right? More going into the roots of, of, of their personal experience, of their family, of their community life, those type of things that have happened, the trauma, the anxiety, the depression you mentioned that that is then showing in these symptoms of acting out, of misbehavior, of not performing in school. So then you made this decision to, to kind of go back to, to school, right? Do your graduate studies in, in mental health and behavioral health. So that's a, a big decision and obviously is, is part of your goal going forward. But for an average coach who might be dealing with seeing the same thing, seeing that their player is, is hurting, seeing that they're in pain, seeing that they need help, but don't really have the skills to do it. Like what, like what could I, as someone who doesn't have enough, the skills or the background to really help, like what could I do as a coach? I, th- I think we as coaches play a very important role in 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 our, our you know players' lives than we really um, acknowledge or recognize. Um, one one thing that I always always try to at least suggest is all, always always have the resources to suggest for um, for kids to to seek out if they need. Um, I think, you know, for my experience here at Spalding, fortunately, I've been able to just say, I don't I don't necessarily wouldn't be able to go see the students that I'm I'm working with as coach. Um, but what I what I do is provide that information to go seek out um, you know, behavioral health uh, services uh, if they need them. And sometimes you don't even have to need them. It just for maintenance purposes to make sure that you know everything's you're, you're functioning okay, uh, and, and and learning new coping skills. You know, mm. maybe um, around the challenges that you know you may be having as a as a, as a player and as a student. Uh, having those services available to you is 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 very important. Um, and I know in especially in the um, especially male students. Or male individuals, um, we are we aren't reluctant to seek out mental health services. Mm-hmm, and, for sure. And and the tough part is again just trying to remove that stigma around uh, what mental what mental health is and what mental health isn't. Because a lot of people think mental health is just is 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 for crazy people. Uh, mm-hmm. as for you know, people that are actually having problems that are visible to everybody else. No, sometimes you have you have successful people going to see a psychologist. Absolutely. There's a reason for that. Um, there's a reason for that. Um, so having those services and and available for kids and students is very important to kind of try to alleviate some of that stigma around. Um, uh, mental health and, and, and those services. Yeah, I, I agree, especially having been a, a college male myself uh, and, and, and knowing that struggle, I think the worst thing for a man is to appear like weak, right? And so a lot of times we, we think as men in our head because we're not really thinking clearly and properly, we're judging ourselves as we're suffering. Then we think, if I talk about it, if I bring it up, then I'm going to look weak or I'm just, I don't want to put my problems on somebody else, but really like expressing that is such an important way to, to move through it. Right. Like it's, it's easier to, to do that than to continue suffering. Um, but definitely take some courage there. So yeah, I think it's in, in general, it's a, a part of the, the game that is growing. I think there, there's a benefit to it that, that maybe sometimes athletes because they have a mentor in their life, like the average student might not be connected with their professors, teachers as much as athletes. We're fortunate that we do have coaches who are with us every day for three, four months. They can see, you know, how our behavior might change, how our performance might change and and really be able to give that connection. So I think it's, and it's amazing that you as a, a college coach also are developing the skills to really identify and see it. And it's a, a benefit to every every human in your program. Um, so so now that you're you're finished, you're close to finishing up your studies, right? Your second master's under your belt, man. You're just getting ready to close those books up. Um, what is kind of your goal or dream going forward, uh, maybe in or outside of the game? Like what what's next for you, Lepe? 
Ah, uh, well, there's there's a there's a lot of pending. <laughs> there's a lot of pending sure. stuff, but I do I do you know like I've like like I've you know kind of mapped out my journey is I want to be you know I want to go coach at the highest level possible. Um, the goal being coaching at the division one level. Um, but again, some of these things are going to be dictated by certain factors. But I do think you know having the experience in that mental health space, having experience in in a, in an administrative um, side as well, um, has really you know put me in a good situation to um, to be able to work in the, in in that setting, in the division one setting, um, as well as you know. I do want to get involved in into in in the mental health um, uh, in the sports sports psychology uh, space as well because I think that's another piece that you know I think when we see you know lack of performance from players uh, we automatically assume uh, he's you know he's playing bad because you know because of X Y Z but we don't necessarily take into uh, account the mental health of the hundred percent. Um, so yeah. I think I think for me having that background and having that with me as I go through as I coach, um, will really uh, bear fruit later on in life. And you know whether it's you know working an independent as an independent psychologist or you know measuring those those two fields together. Uh, working at the, being that coach that has that background, I think it will be beneficial as well. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and it, and we certainly have the the experience, the qualifications to succeed in the the football realm, but uh, but also that so much to offer outside of it too. And I'm sure it's something that there's no way we're going to get you completely away from from soccer, from football. I'm sure just the, absolutely the not. Absolutely not. Yeah. If if I have to be a referee, I'll be a referee. I don't care as long as I'm involved. And that's real desperation right there to be honest <laughs> and courage. Oh uh, yeah, I. Uh, it would be difficult to to step away from the game. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. It's something that'll always always be stuck to. And and so so thank you so much for sharing, Lepe. I want to to conclude this episode the same way we end every episode. Could you please complete the sentence because football dot dot dot? Oh, uh, because football, I would not be where I am today. Um, I would not be coaching. I would not be in this uh, clinical mental health space as well. Um, so that's that's that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, it's it's so closely connected with with my path as well, and I think that's why we have a, a easy connection here. Um, getting to know you and, and having the conversation has been great. I think it's helped me to forgive you a little bit for, for humiliating me and my team about 17 years ago. The wounds are still there. Unintentional. Um, and, uh, unintentional. <laughs> it's all part of the game, man. I know it's not personal, but it, it still hurt. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was great to have you, Lepe. We appreciate it. And I'll certainly include your LinkedIn information. Any other links you'd like to have, we'll put in the description here for anybody watching on YouTube listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those great venues where you can find us. Um, but thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Andrew. Have a good one. Appreciate it.